0: On this episode of Twill, Linux Mint has released a new version of their distro. KDE and GNOME have announced updates to the next version of their desktop environments. A new version of Wine is out. OpenSUSE released a roadmap for the next iteration of the Leap edition. And System76 has released a roadmap to an alpha release of their Cosmic desktop. All of this and much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by LinBit, more on them later. The Linux Mint team have announced the latest release of their Linux distro with Linux Mint 21.3. This version is based on Ubuntu 22.04 like all of the 21.x series and will be supported until 2027. This release comes with the newest version of the Cinnamon desktop with Cinnamon 6.0. And there's a lot of cool things to talk about with that. But first, this also brings in support for Secure Boot for Linux Mint, which is something that people have been wanting to do based on hardware compatibility and that sort of thing. So that is awesome. If you'd like to learn more about the full details about Cinnamon 6, by the way, you can check out episode 245 of This Week in Linux where I covered it in much more depth, but we'll take a little bit of highlights here and there. So the next thing that's a big deal with this latest version of Linux Mint is that it has experimental Wayland support thanks to Cinnamon 6.0. So if you are a Linux Mint user, you should definitely check out the Wayland support. Now it is experimental, like I said, so it's not going to be a production-ready daily driver type of thing. But it is something that I think is very important because Whalen is taking over and we have a very important topic about that later in the show. Uh, it's related to x vulnerabilities. So it's, it's important that this is being done and I'm happy to see that. So if you wanna help provide some bug reports and things like that, be sure to check it out. And also there's some new cinnamon spices actions for Nemo file manager context menu. There's options for 75% scrolling again. Also the stylus buttons can be disabled now. And there's an ability to choose which monitor is used for notifications, as well as many, many more things like the new desktop zoom action gesture and much more. If you'd like to learn more about this, you can check out links in the show notes. But one more thing I wanted to let you know is that Linux Mint 21.3 continues to use the Linux 5.15 kernel by default But if you want to use the 6.5 kernel for the Linux kernel, you can check out the Edge ISO edition for Linux Mint and have a more up-to-date driver. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Linux Mint with 21.3, you'll find links in the show notes. Wine 9.0 is now available, bringing the next generation of Windows compatibility to Linux for games and applications. For those unfamiliar, this is a very critical piece of the technology that makes Valve's Steam Play Proton work for Linux gaming, so this is a very big deal. Now, Wine releases a new version once a year, and this release is a massive one, with bringing over 7,000 individual changes. And here are just some of the highlights of this release. There are a lot more than this, but here are some of the highlights. There is an experimental Wayland graphics driver. It's not enabled by default just yet, but it is there, which is awesome. There's lots of work on WoW 64, including the completion of converting modules to PE format to introduce a proper boundary between the Windows and Unix worlds. They say it's now possible to run 32-bit Windows applications on a purely 64-bit Unix installation, but this new WoW 64 mode is not yet enabled by default, but it is awesome that it is there. And the completion of the PE slash Unix separation means that it's possible to run existing Windows binaries on ARM64, which is fantastic. Now the Vulkan driver support also has been updated to version 1.3.272 of the Vulkan spec. And various optimizations have been made to the core WinD3D or Wine D3D, and the Vulkan backend. A number of GDI Plus functions are optimized for better graphics performance, and much, much more, like the Windows Media Video or WMV Decoder DirectX Media Object is now implemented, which is fantastic. And just, the list just goes on and on. Like, there's lots of internationalization improvements, including updates for Unicode and better support for native Windows IME implementations. And just, there's just so much stuff and these are just some of the improvements and there's a lot more to check out so if you want to learn more about the latest release of Wine 9 you'll find links in the show notes the kde team have announced the winner of the wallpaper contest for kde plasma 6 and this is called the sun slash comet wallpaper and it is a very very nice looking wallpaper there's a light and dark mode for night and daytime usage and it just, it looks really, really good. And there's a lot of great submissions that didn't get chosen. If you check out the page for the finalists, you'll see even more, as well as I'll have a link to the entire forum section where you can check out all the submissions because there is just a ton of really good stuff. Like Hexworld and the Waves submissions are really cool. And I mean, it make kind of makes sense if you think about it, because if you're having a contest for wallpaper, then you, you sometimes will get some good suggestions. But if you add a prize of the Framework Laptop, you might get a lot more submissions. (laughs) And so that was a really good idea on KDE's part. Also, something to talk about with KDE is that Plasma 6 Release Candidate is now available for testing. What does that mean? Well, you may have heard of the term alpha and beta, but you might not have heard of Release Candidate because it doesn't happen that much in like the public eye. It happens in public, I mean, but most people don't really talk about release candidates because it's right before the release. So you have maybe one or two release candidates and then you have the final release. So it's basically 90% ready and I am very excited because we're basically a month away for the next edition of the overall improvements of KDE Plasma because this is not just a new version, this is a whole new branch and I am super excited. Now KDE Plasma is now available uh, as a test, but again, this is a release candidate, so it's not technically ready. Uh, this is something I'm super excited about. And for people who are not familiar, there's cute uh, 6 support in this, Wayland by default, floating panel by default, accent colors in the header bars now, double click by default, which is fantastic, a revamped task switcher, the desktop cube is back, and just so much more. I am very excited about the new version of KDE Plasma. I can't wait to use it. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm just, I'm going to go download it right now. (laughs) I will just do bug reports. I'm not going to run as a daily driver, probably. We'll see. Who knows? If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of KDE Plasma's release candidate, you can check out the links in the show notes. Speaking of releases of desktop environments that are not quite ready, let's talk about the latest release of GNOME 46 with the alpha release. So again, this is not actually ready, it's far from ready actually, because alpha means it's just usable now to test out, but then there's gonna be a beta and then release candidates and then the actual release, so it is pretty far off. So GNOME 46 alpha has a lot of cool highlights to talk about, so we have the headless remote logins via GDM, a new terminal emulator app called Prompt, a new offline documentation app called Biblioteca, GTK4 ports for swell foop and uh, settings, as well as headless GNOME classic session support, built-in support for WebP images, which is really nice, as well as JPEG XL is now being the default image format for backgrounds. Now, we'll cover GNOME 46 in much more depth in a future episode. But if you want to try out the alpha again, just a quick warning, it is not ready for production use. It is just for bug test, bug reports and testing like that. So. You'll find a link in the show notes. But there's something from Gnome that I'm even more excited to tell you about. So let's talk about the new job that was posted by Gnome Foundation. The job post says that the Gnome Foundation is seeking qualified candidates for an open software engineer position. I freaking love this. This is awesome news. Okay, maybe I should back up a bit about why I'm so excited for this to happen, why a job post is that exciting for me? No, because it's not because I want the job. I'm, I'm a coder, I guess, but not. I'm far from a software engineer. I would definitely not call myself that. The reason I find this exciting is that I think this is the first time the GNOME Foundation has ever done this by posting a job for development or software engineer. Open source is an amazing concept, and I love the idea of it. But there has been this theory in the ecosystem that organizations should not pay developers to work on things because you want them to enjoy their work. So you let them work on whatever they want instead of specific work tasks. And I understand the basis for this, and I agree to some level, but I've always had a little bit of disagreement because I think so much more can be done if the volunteer developers who love the project weren't spending their spare time on it, which equates to what? Maybe... 10 to 20% of their time at best, instead pay them to work on the project they love and get 100% of their work time. That would be fantastic. I mean, I know there are pros and cons to both approaches, but up until now, I don't think anyone has tried it exactly in these kinds of organizations. And now it looks like GNOME is doing that, so I hope more projects take this into consideration as something worth trying, (coughs) KDE. And I think this is gonna be really good for Gnome and I can't wait to see what happens. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by LinBit. LinBit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010. And LinStore, industry leading open source software defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Linbit provides enterprise grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you wanna use, including off the shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or OpenNebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from LinBit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. Pulse Audio 17 is out. And while most modern desktop Linux distros have migrated over to Pipewire for audio management, not all have. And even Pulse Audio is still very important, even if they have. Pipewire replaces Pulse Audio, but it also doesn't because Pipewire is still using Pulse Audio in the back end and Pipewire sits on top of it. It also sits on top of Jack and ALSA and that sort of stuff. So Pulse Audio is still relevant. Pipewire just makes things much, much easier to use. So let's talk about the highlights of the latest release of Pulse Audio. It now supports battery level indications for Bluetooth audio devices, support for the Bluetooth Stream codec, updates to ALSA UCM based setups and much, much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Pulse Audio 17.0, you'll find links in the show notes. The System76 crew has put out a new blog post outlining the work ahead toward their upcoming alpha release of their new Cosmic Desktop environment and the eventual release of Pop! OS 24.04, which is expected to happen over the summer. So we don't have a release date for the alpha just yet, but it seems like System76 is planning for the new Cosmic Desktop to be included in the next release of Pop! OS which is 24.04 later this summer, so it's probably before then we're gonna get the Alpha. For those unfamiliar, Cosmic is a new desktop environment being developed by System76 for their own OS distribution. It is written from scratch using Rust, LibCosmic, and the Iced toolkit. They say that the goal for the Cosmic DE Alpha is to feel like a complete product, albeit with some features still to come. The remaining work is divided into three phases, remaining features, design matching, and bug fixes, also then bug fixes, documentation, and ISO files. Uh, I am very excited about this because the Cosmic desktop looks awesome. It looks super featureful, and I can't wait to play with it. In addition to this news about the alpha release, they also talked about updates related to the current development of Cosmic, and there has been a ton. They outlined a lot of improvements for the Cosmic Terminal. They have been working on a CLI utility for managing displays, similar to xrandr on X11, which is awesome. A screenshot tool, a hybrid graphics mode for multi-GPU setups, window tiling improvements, floating window stacks, and much, much more. And I'm very, very excited to check out the Cosmic desktop, like I said, so when the alpha release happens, you can absolutely expect me to try it out and make a video about the experience. So be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel to learn more about that. Or you can, in the meantime, check out the links in the show notes to learn more about what's coming with the Cosmic desktop. OpenSUSE Leap 16 will be coming, which is rather expected. But what Leap 16 will be, that's changing. We got word this week that Leap 16 will be based on SUSE's Adaptable Linux Platform, or ALP, or ALP, codebase, which is essentially an attempt to make an enterprise immutable OS. Leap 15.6 is expected this June, and Leap 16 is expected next year, around maybe June 2025. They say in the announcement, based on SUSE's new adaptable Linux platform, Codebase, OpenSUSE Leap 16 will combine the benefits of an advanced enterprise server distribution and user-friendly maintenance and security that is a hallmark of the Leap series. Leap 16 is aiming to strike a balance between a cutting edge and traditional Linux operating system emerging from SUSE's development of ALP and initiatives to effectively integrate community packages. The transition to Leap 16 is not just a numerical step up, but it symbolizes a significant path forward in technology and user experiences. The future of OpenSUSE Leap is based on the innovative concept of SUSE's adaptable Linux platform. If you'd like to learn more about the news related to OpenSUSE Leap 16, you'll find links in the show notes. So Unity is back in the news for something stupid, and that is banning VLC from the Unity store. Now, to be fair, this also happened during this same period of time that the old CEO was in power. It's not a new thing. This happened in mid-2023. So uh, it's basically the same kind of nonsense. Uh, Hopefully, Unity is better now with the new CEO in charge and all that. But uh, VLC was banned from Unity Store, and this results in some really cool news that we're going to talk about in a second. So they started distributing binaries on the Unity Store for the open-source VLC for Unity integration Back in December 2019, the integration essentially was a bridge between the Unity game engine and the VLC media player engine or multimedia engine, allowing to build your own media player based on VLC technology inside of Unity based games. Both Unity through Mono and LibVLC are highly portable, so this makes sense to make this possible for a cross-platform integration but they received an email in August of 2023 that said, Hi, Video Labs. Thanks very much for your submission. The packages VLC for Unity, for Android, UWP, and Windows have been deprecated. We have received a report that these packages have dependencies that are licensed under LGPL, which is in violation of Section 5.10.4 of the Provider Agreement. Based on our investigations, these packages will not be reinstated onto the asset store. We apologize for the inconvenience. And then after the apology, they had months of slow back and forth over email trying to figure out something to go along with it, like a compromise, including offering to exclude LGPL code from the assets. But Unity basically told them that they're not going to welcome them back to the store ever and ban them, even if they were to remove all the LGPL code from the Unity package, which, what? I mean, it's also super weird considering Unity itself, both the editor and the runtime, which means the, every game that shipped, is already using LGPL dependencies. So why can't something integrating into Unity do it? Uh, who knows? So what's cool about this is actually it kind of annoyed Video Labs to create a store so that you can get the integration stuff as well as many other things from their store directly. This way, existing and new customers can still purchase binaries for the open source VLC Unity plugin without the presence of VLC on the Unity store. And they've also set up a new flexible multimedia consulting packages. I'm not exactly sure what they do with that but you can purchase hours to have consulting directly with the video labs people which is a company that was built by people who were working on video land and that's awesome video land not land i think i said land anyway this is a fantastic idea both helping video land to and video labs to create uh funding for the development of vlc because i don't know how it was making money before and this is awesome to see. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. One of the reasons the Linux ecosystem is moving to Wayland is the state of Xorg in regards to potential security issues. Xorg is basically spaghetti code that at this point, no one can fully be an expert in. It is a constant cat and mouse game of finding and patching issues. To start 2024, on a note that helps prove that point, Another six security vulnerabilities have been found within the Xorg server, and these same issues affect Xwayland too. These vulnerabilities are a mix of heap buffer overflows, out of bounds memory accesses, se Linux context corruption and others. Whalen has been known to be the replacement for years, but it has currently been over 15 years of development for Whalen, and we're still waiting. I hope we can make that switch sooner rather than later. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Data breaches seem to be happening all the time, every day at this point. And I have another one to tell you about this week. The innovative laptop company Framework has announced that they experienced a data breach. But this one is interesting in how it happened. Kind, it's also kind of a facepalm worthy, but not on the side of Framework. Because on the bright side, the breach was not caused by Framework themselves, but rather one of their vendors. And shockingly, it was because of a phishing attack against their accounting partner, Keating Consulting. The reason this is shocking is because it's an accounting partner and that you would think that they're more better at attention to detail. But the emails sent out to uh, the affected customers say that Keating Consulting accountant was tricked by a threat actor impersonating framework CEO into sharing a spreadsheet containing customers personally identifiable identifiable information associated with outstanding balances for framework purchases. The data included in that is full name, email address, and the balance owed. Now, framework says to note that this list was primarily a subset of open pre-orders, but some completed past orders with pending accounts accounting syncs were also included in this list. But based on the comments in the forum thread, it seems that people who completed their transaction even in 2022 were still on the list for some reason because they also received the email. So that's sort of confusing. They did cover that in the thread later on with a reply, but it's still, still confusing. I'm, I'm covering this here on Twill for two reasons. Now, two reasons. First, because since the exposed data includes the names of customers, their email addresses, and their outstanding balances, it could potentially be used in phishing attacks that impersonate the company to request payment information or redirect to malicious websites designed to gather even more sensitive information from those impacted. So I wanted to offer a warning to be on the lookout for these kinds of things if you are a customer framework. The other reason is because Framework handled the issue rather well, letting everyone know as soon as possible, but, well, this accounting firm really stepped on its own feet. An accounting firm is supposed to, in my opinion, have a very good attention to detail orientation, but uh, Framework says that they will be requiring them to have mandatory phishing and social engineering attack training, which is great, although my instant response was, shouldn't an accounting company already be doing this? I suppose not, but hopefully this is a sign that makes uh, other or it's a sign and a warning to other accounting companies and all companies to do phishing training because not everybody is aware of what signs to look for and things like that. But overall, this is good. And Framework also goes on to say that we are also auditing their standard operating procedures around information requests. And we are additionally auditing the trainings and standard operating procedures of all other accounting and finance consultants who currently or previously had access to customer information. Though I would say any consultants or any other company that's a vendor that has access to this information would be good to have a auditing of sorts. So this is how important it is to make sure you treat all incoming messages with scrutiny. I used to wear the fact that I never got fished as a badge of honor. Proudly telling people whenever the topic came up, and then, then finally it happened a couple of years ago and I let my guard down for one second. And in my defense, this was a phishing attempt on a Steam account to steal worthless in-game items. So I didn't really care that much. And I was tricked because they used an account who was already on my friends list to contact me, which that kind of lowered my guard because I already knew them. So it was much more effort than just email asking for a spreadsheet, but still always keep your guard up when a random message asks for anything to be sent. Now, even if the message is asking for me to tell them the final score of a game between the Bucks and the Nuggets in the NBA, I'm still not sure if I'll tell them. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. It has been a very, very long time since I thought about the madness that was Adobe Flash. At one point I was writing articles for How To Geek about watching Netflix on Linux due to how much of a nightmare Flash was. And now I haven't thought about it in years. However, this week I found that Flash lives on in a good way. Veronix is reporting about a new, or maybe not new, but open source project called Ruffle. Ruffle says that it is made to run natively on all modern operating systems and browsers, and that Ruffle brings Flash content back to life with no extra fuss. So for those of you who are fans of some Flash games, you can check out Ruffle to keep those games alive and well. And I love that this project exists because now that Flash is dead, so are the awful downsides of using Flash, like those annoying Flash ads or the mountain of compatibility issues and so on. Now it lives on in a positive way, keeping old Flash games around, and that's very cool. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com/slash membership where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the Linux the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux News. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell. Hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And of course, I'll see you next time or I bid you farewell.